We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today's episode, we're going to break down the schedule. It came out a couple weeks ago, but we've had so many players and you know uh, elements to get into with, with such roster turnover that we haven't had a chance to. But Mike, you wrote a great piece for Lakers.com a couple weeks back uh, where you really got into the minutia of it. So I think you're the man to, to lead the way on this. Where do you want to start? You guys know this. I get excited. Okay. When the schedule comes out, it's uh, it's usually what's it's almost always if you take out the pandemic years in August when everything else is finally cooled down and it's the chance to really start to visualize what's going to happen next year. And I do think it matters. I do think the schedule matters in the NBA and the Lakers just so the start of the season being pretty soft. That's where we're going to start here. But overall, I thought this was a very favorable schedule for the Lakers for many, many reasons of which we'll get into. And it's the kind of thing that can make the difference in a, you know, a one seed versus a three seed. Um, it, it, I do think that that can make that can have that kind of an impact. So here's where I want to start it. And I actually, I want to kick this to, to Darius on this to make sure that I'm not making too much of it, but 12, of the first team, 12 of the first 15 games are coming at Staples center. And when you have a team with so many new pieces, now even with Rondo coming back, it's five guys. I think that that home, that home heavy schedule early is something that just is going to let them get off to a better start as opposed to going on an immediate East Coast trip or an immediate trip through some of the Western contenders while they're still trying to figure out a couple things and iron some things out. And to boot, of those first 12 home games, only three of them come against playoff teams from last year. And that's Phoenix, that's Memphis, and that's Miami. Now, I think we can put Golden State into that mix as well in the opener. Golden State didn't make the playoffs technically last year, but clearly they're going to be of playoff caliber this year. But Darius, are you are you with me that that is a significant factor in its own right that the schedule is on paper soft to start, or are we, or by we I mean I, making too much of it? I actually don't. I think that we should be making the potential of this, I think it's super important 
for a brand new team. I think we thought the same thing a couple of years ago after the AD acquisition when the prospect of the Lakers getting out to a big start or a quick start, I think that propelled them through the rest of that season. Um, and there were a lot of other factors, obviously, just their overall talent and that team and ended up winning the the championship. So maybe it's sort of um, circular thinking here around stuff, stuff like this, right? Like, oh, of course, the team that won the NBA championship looked good at the beginning of the season, right? But it's true, I think, that a home-heavy schedule against teams who um, weren't as successful last season and in some of these cases project to not be as good this season, the prospect of the Lakers starting like winning eight of their first 10 games or seven of their first 10 games or 12 of their first 15 games, that, that ability to build momentum, Pete, I think for a new team especially is super important. Pete, let me let me redirect this to you for a second though, because I want to make I want to make sure you get this note in there. Darius mentioned the start of the season two years ago, or I guess really the night two seasons ago, but the nineteen twenty season, which we have to keep drilling into our heads. And they had I'm looking at my schedule article from that year. So eight of their first eleven, or sorry, only four of their first eleven games were against playoff teams that year. And I do think that that helped. And so this is again, it's now this one is it's basically the same thing. It's four of fifteen. But it's just a like that to me, uh, we already saw on paper what that did, because that was a new team too, Pete, you know? No, Mike, and in kicking this to Pete, we don't think about, oh, like these are the best players in the world. They need confidence, right? But I do think for a new team, when you win, that that confidence does matter. Pete, you'll get to talk eventually. I promise. <laughs> it's all right, man. I, you know, we'll get around to it. I was uh, gonna do. I was gonna do a fake. I was gonna interrupt him on the next one j- as a right, psych. Right. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. you know, I would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to kick it to me. Uh, now, uh, the the point about them being new and the importance of it when you're new is is really that's everything to me, right? Because there is that. Someone once described the NBA season, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Mike, because you've, I think, experienced this on a ground in a, in, the, in a way that is hard, that if you haven't traveled with the team, that you don't quite uh, understand. So hearing you say that this is a very favorable schedule to the Lakers, I put more stock in that than pretty much any, anyone, because I, I don't quite know the way that it feels to travel with the team and how a schedule can really impact the ups and downs of a season. But someone once described the uh NBA season to me is like three weeks of teams trying really hard and then kind of dropping down the energy level through the December and January, February months. And then there's that post trade deadline, whenever you want to start, but there's a ramp up toward the end of the season. So it has kind of a, it has a, a curvature to it, right? Where it dips down in the middle of the season. And I think that develop, you develop your habits during those times where you're really activated as a team, meaning that right at the beginning of the season, that's important for a new team. Whereas, like, say Milwaukee, Milwaukee didn't win to Milwaukee didn't need to have that hot start because they'd been together for so long, and so they didn't need those minutes together to get you know some side, some type of continuity. And so, 
in terms of this year's schedule and with this team, there's a lot of older guys where, Mike, I'm more concerned about that dip in the middle of the season. Like, what does an old team look like in January? I think those are going to be your Malik Monk, THT, Kendrick Nunn type of months where it's going to be really important for them to carry the day. But in terms of setting the tone and setting the habits for the season, I'm really excited about that. And also, while it's a soft start to start out with, the first two games are Phoenix and Golden State. So there's this great right out of the gate, like measuring stick type of games. And then if we win, we lose, we'll learn from those games, if nothing else. And kind of it gives you this like starting point of, okay, this is what we need to get better at over these next couple of weeks, couple of months during that soft schedule. I think it, it really works out great. Yeah, the way that you laid it out, Pete, I think was is really good because you think about everything comes around eventually. You have to play all of the teams in the East twice. You have to play the Western Conference teams at least three times. And then there are most of the teams, 10 of them, in fact, that you play four times. This is one of those little tweaks. Like, it doesn't matter that much, but there are there are four teams. Two of them only come to your building once, and you only go to somebody else's building once. But essentially, you're playing more or less the same schedule as the rest of the league. But I tend to like an er- a softer early start because here's the other factor. After the All-Star break, and, and you're right about the whole thing in the middle where some teams can take a dip here and there. But the time I think that it really starts to be irregular is the last month of the season when some teams are not even necessarily tanking but rebuilding. And then some teams are coasting because they're trying to make sure that their guys are healthy for the playoffs. And that's more of what a vet team is typically going to do. However, if you're a team that is needing to get a seed, then you're playing super hard for those last couple of games. And it's the variance. Here's the point. The variance is going to be really high early on. Right guys. So they get OKC twice in the first 10 or so games. So OKC, they play on the 27th of October and then November 4th. Um, Shout out to my birthday. They also get Houston twice. In fact, back to back Houston on Halloween and then again on November 2nd. So to me, that's the time that you want to see Houston in OKC completely young, completely new teams like they're going to be playing hard. Sure. But so is everybody else. And so those teams are going to know what they're doing, whereas the Lakers, even if they don't have all of their schematics down, they've got LeBron right to ultimately guide them and now Rondo coming off the bench and to an extent Westbrook like to to sort of carry that day whereas you get a Houston team or an OKC team in early March you know and and that and that team's just flying all over the place they've started to figure things out a little bit like that to me is when I want to see young teams early and then you want to see the vet teams late and the teams that may or may not already have locked up a spot and so let me uh, let me point one other thing out though for balance purposes March is really when you get the payback for that early home schedule. So Lakers are on the road for 11 games. Um, They have five at home. January also has a six game trip, but like it's always going to come around to an extent, Darius. It's just, I, I usually, if I'm thinking about the schedule as a whole, I want to see some of those, those on paper softer games early when you know they're softer, as opposed to later when teams can be different or when injuries start to become a big thing. Yeah. I think that, the beginning part of the season, I think, is where you learn the most about your team and who you're going to be. Go back to two seasons ago, guys, and remember that idea of, oh, well, the Lakers haven't beaten anyone, you know, and and I don't know how good this team is, and 
Oh, well, they went into Philly and Milwaukee and they got beat. I don't know about trusting this. Right. And there was a lot of sort of like, oh, yeah, they're the top team in the West record wise. But what have they done? Well, all they've done is win a bunch of like a bunch of games. Right. And, and, and so I think we can sometimes lose sight of things like in the moment and trying to determine what things actually mean. And hindsight source tends to give you a better view of things. Right. But yeah, can if the Lakers started out 13 and two. Guess what? They're going to be in a damn good position because they've won 13 of their first 15 games, right? That's one sixth of the season or one fifth of the season. And they're already showing that they could be or jumping out to that head start, right? It's like the if you look at a lot of times people say, oh, well, the NBA season is a marathon. Why tend to look at it more like a relay? Right. And so that first leg of the relay, you typically start one of your better guys as your leadoff guy within a relay. Right. Because you want to try to get that quick start. You want to try to get that early lead in in order to be able to extend that over the course of the rest of the season. And then with the anchor, you try to close with your very best dude, because if you you put your your trash dude at third. Yeah. Right. Or. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? Like, oh, like third is like, oh, you, harsh, you're not the but, you know. Well, you're not the strongest part, right? And, and but your 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 opening leg and your anchor leg, those are your dudes within the context of of a relay. And for a championship team, I think that's what you want. And if the schedule can help facilitate that some even better. And so starting out with a bit of a soft schedule and the Lakers are hopefully going to be a championship level team. Well, if this enables them to get out to a quick start and then when it's sort of go time in that last four to six weeks of the season, when LeBron is starting to sort of dial in and say, all right, we're now building towards something. That's when you want them to be able to really close it out with some strength too. And the way that this, schedule on paper is setting up mike i i think there is potential there for that relay analogy to play out in real life for for this specific lakers team i mean you're always good for an analogy i do have to say this is one of your better ones i really i really like this one and i may have to to shape my entire 2022 23 schedule piece based on your analogy um maybe you know what maybe we could just pay you to do a little (laughs) guest spot um because that's really a nice one I also want to add into this, Pete, the Lakers are winning in some senses before the season starts, just relative to last season. And this is the point about the bubble tax that we keep making over and over and over. But I I watched the Olympics. I know you guys did, too. I didn't see any Lakers out there that were uh, putting any miles on. I watched the postseason, didn't see the Lakers after that loss to Phoenix. And of all of the guys that are coming in to the team Those guys didn't go on any runs. In fact, the only guy to make it out of round one was Dwight Howard of the, of everybody on the roster. Um, And so that includes some guys that didn't even make the postseason: Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore. Then you have guys that lost in round one. Uh, So Carmelo with Portland, you had Ariza and Nunn with Miami and then Westbrook with Washington. So that to me for this season, for this specific season, because I think sometimes it can be the flip side. Lamar Odom played with team USA, had his best year. For this season, I think that that offseason of rest is going to be a boon for the Lakers in this early season. And you've got guys like LeBron and Westbrook and AD to lead the way, Pete, where they're going to be hitting that ground running. 
Yeah, and we saw last season that health is wealth in the NBA. That's something that Kobe would always even talk about right, in terms of what's the key for a season. And he would always make a point to point that out, that how important that was. And it's easy to overlook and it's kind of an assumed, well, yeah, you have to be healthy, but that's easier said than done. And there's some degree of luck to it, but I also think there's a certain degree of planning to it as well. And with an older roster that's very top heavy, I think that we're vulnerable to uh, and susceptible to more factors that would decide whether we we have an injury prone season or not. That said, the conditions going into the season, like you said, Mike, so many guys coming off of a long summer and just very much needed, you know, in terms of the Lakers as an organization as a whole, there were so many people on the court and behind the scenes that it was like back-to-back seasons, right, Mike? You know, where the summer was so short that having this extended break, I think, has reset a lot of people. Um, and even the guys that are that are coming in, and Rondo and, and Dwight, they had that short off season too. We don't think of them in that in those terms, but their performance had to be affected last season by that. So this is a little thing, Darius, but I, I had mentioned the whole there's four teams that you play three times. And it can make a difference in a tiebreaker if it's against the right team. And so in this case, Dallas and Denver, those are the two teams that only come to Staples Center one time. And you could argue that that's a slight advantage if you're close in the standings for Dallas and Denver, right, who get the Lakers twice in their building. Then you have New Orleans and Utah. Those are the places the Lakers only have to go once. And I want to use this as a, as a, a larger piece, though, because on paper, yes, you're better off at home. Well, last year, the Lakers were exactly split. They had the same record at home and on the road. I think that's because of the pandemic, right? I think that's because there were no fans at Staples Center, whereas Utah had fans for almost the whole season. In related news, Utah had the best home record in the NBA. I think it was it was like 38 and five or something like that. Like, um, whatever. do the math, 72 divided by two. Uh, Yeah, maybe it's 33 and five. Regardless, this year, I think the Lakers do get some boost by being back at home. But this is also a team that I think is going to be good on the road. Like that's a LeBron likes to play on the road. Westbrook likes to play on the road. Actually, Westbrook just likes to play hard everywhere, really. But how much are you how much stock, Darius, are you putting into the home road, the fans coming back and thinking for this specific Laker team with all the veterans that they have? I think it's important because of the style of play that we've talked about. We anticipate the Lakers gearing themselves towards this season and how important fans can be to helping to promote that style of play and and helping keep that energy level up, right? Because if the Lakers are as exciting a team as they project to be, that's going to cause this symbiotic relationship between them and the crowd. And I think if the Lakers are making highlight play after highlight play, And the crowd is then sensing in that moment, like, oh, damn, another dunk or getting sort of that crescendo building, right? Like, oh, they feel it now. And that energy is up. I think that's only going to serve the Lakers better and make them better in the elements of the game that they already hope to thrive in. Right. And we've all been there both in home crowds and and away crowds when the Lakers are sort of starting to turn it on in a way. And they've got a they've got a special road fan fan base that I think we we'll talk mm-hmm. about more within the context of, of why we think they can be a good road team. But I'm right about to. Yes. 
But at home, I've always said this, that there's one, it's one thing to be like, oh, the Saturday night ABC game when, oh, the camera's panning and look, there's Denzel. And oh, that like there's there's all the stars. Oh, look, there's Leo and there's Rihanna. Those games are special. And I think when you're watching them on TV, that looks great. But give me the random Tuesday night game when it's just like all those people who might get priced out a little bit at of uh, that ABC game where it's like, oh, this is the star studded game. And this is a night where the Hornets are in town. Right. Or the game where, oh, I've got season tickets, but I'm not going to go. I'm going to put these up for sale. And all of these sort of everyday fans get a chance to be in the upper level. Those are the games where I think when the Lakers might not have their typical energy, and Mike, you can speak to this a little bit, the extra rambunctiousness that you might get from the fan base who maybe only gets to go to one or two games a year at Staples, they're extra hyped. And if the Lakers are bringing a little bit of that, oh, showtime, I think they're going to lift each other up. And, And so I think those home games will matter. And I think the style of play that the Lakers anticipate playing is going to help bring the fans with even more energy and it's going to sort of cascade upon itself and build upon itself. Well, I think that we have more than just style of play advantages in that respect. We've got a cast of characters unlike any team has ever had, right? We're talking seven future Hall of Famers, most likely, on this roster. I think this team is going to travel like the Beatles, right? Like this this team is going to be, they're going to be rock stars on the road. And that, like you were saying, everybody's going to come out to see them on the road, even if it is to root against them. We're going to be the biggest, baddest villains in the NBA that we've ever been. We've been that for a long time, but with this particular roster, we're going to travel well. And it's the first opportunity in a couple of years to really – because we had varying degrees of attendance last season. We only started to get the full house type of craziness toward the end of the year and into the playoffs in places like Utah and Phoenix, right? That ramped up. That wasn't a whole regular season thing. Even in places like that, it was more limited. So for the first time in two years – Fans in road cities are going to have the chance to see the Lakers come to town, whether they're rooting for them or very much against them. I think those games are going to be off the charts electric between the cast of characters, the way the crowd is going to be. I've been told I cannot actively coordinate takeovers of opposing stadiums. However, I do greatly encourage meetups from fans uh, to to you know go to those games and be loud and raucous and, and rowdy. And I think that same thing applies to home games, Mike, like Darius was saying, is that those games that aren't quite those primetime games and aren't a road game, it's a that Tuesday night against the Hornets, I think that even then we're going to see some of that, like, we talked about this all last year, fans were barely there. At home, at home Laker games, there are a lot of people that are going to be going to their first Laker game in a long time, and it, it hasn't been packed at all in, in two years, man, and I think that that's going to have a big uh, bump to the enthusiasm. Here's the other point I want to make about home court and the Lakers. And I learned this, I think, better when I got to the Lakers because I had come from the Timberwolves and watching two games and really growing up there. And the first time that I went to a road game and like felt the serious or sorry, a home game and felt the difference was my first year covering that Laker team. And the difference is Laker fans are really smart. And again, this is not to say that Minnesota fans aren't, but they have seen a lot of high stakes big time playoff games. So they know when to cheer. Whereas in Minnesota, in some of these smaller markets or just markets that haven't had the experience of having a great team, 
they get nervous in those big moments, in those big games. Mm -hmm. And this, this is something that feeds itself. One of the biggest contrasts was at OKC, that great series that went six with the young thunder with Russ. And I'd love to kind of ask him about that, where that fame, they were insane. They were great. It was one of the loudest buildings ever, but they didn't quite know what to do in those big moments. Whereas on the other hand, at Staples center, if the team is struggling, that's when you hear the 300 level start to start to rattle. Yeah. In other places, that's where it goes quiet. And then that filters. And I always say, I to me, it feels like it goes, um, it's it actually, it's Staples. I don't know if it's completely this way, but it seems like it comes from the top of the building down. And whereas other times it can be, it can be the opposite, but that building, it starts to, it, the players feel that, right? And then, and that I think can, that can impact winning. And so once you get to even like February, so February at home, the Lakers have Portland, the Knicks, the Bucks, the Jazz, the Clippers and the Pelicans. So it's a pretty, you know, solid group of teams. Then in March, Dallas, Golden State, Washington, Toronto, Philly, and finally in April, Pelicans, Nuggets, Thunder. So in April, I mean, other than that Nuggets game, we'll see if Jamal Murray is back like that. Maybe that's a game where the Lakers have a chance to clinch the one seat or something. We don't know. We'll see. But that will be a game where the fans will know what to do. And I just think that helps the Lakers a lot. Whereas for some other teams, it, it can be the opposite. It can have an adverse effect. Very much so. Very much so. It's going to be super fascinating to see how those dynamics play out throughout this season. Let's take a quick break and we'll take a closer look at some of the quirks in the schedule in the second half of the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Mike, where are we going next? All right, back to backs. So we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but the league has made a real push in limiting these, and we've seen it. So I've kept track of this year by year. In 2015-16, the Lakers had 18 back-to-backs, and that was about league average. Now the league average is all the way down to 13.7. And for the second straight kind of full season at least, the Lakers have 12 which is on the low end of that. Now, of those back-to-backs, two of them have no travel. So there's a home back-to-back, the Spurs and Bulls, and that's in the kind of mid-November. And then there's one of those away where they get the benefit that the Clippers have the same building. So it's home against Portland and then at the Clippers uh, in early February. And I just think that's, for a veteran team, this probably has a bigger 
this has more impact on the Lakers than it will, for example, on the Thunder or on the Rockets when you've got not only young legs, but you're not quite sure what your rotation should be anyway. And I think that having it at the low end just makes a difference. It's something that you look for in the schedule and it's gotten better for the league as a whole. So it's not that it's a competitive difference because of that, but it's a competitive difference because of the age of the roster, uh, I would say. Can I just add to that too, Mike? A couple of these back-to-backs are same time zone back, back-to-backs as well. And so, for example, there is a home road back-to-back in the first part of February, um, home against the Bucks, and then at Portland, right? And so if you're the Lakers, you're like, okay, well, we play at home. That's great. And then you get to fly out and you're not flying to Denver, right? Where you then have to like, okay, we're leaving time, we're leaving the time zone. And then you land in Denver and it's super late at night. And then you've got this long drive from the airport into the downtown area or wherever you guys are going, going to stay. And it's sort of this drawn out period where you're like, oh man, it's like four in the morning and we're checking in or five in the morning. Like what's going on? here. And so I appreciate those sort of same time zone back-to-backs as well. And so the Lakers have have a few of those. They've got another um, East Coast one right in March where they're at Toronto and then at Washington. And those are similar time in the day ones as well. Like, what, So what I look for in, in back-to-backs too is, okay, well, do they have a a daytime? It, like it's one of these like, oh, they play earlier the next day and it's sort of just like this is this sucks right because you're not actually getting any not not only is it a back-to-back but you're losing time as well and and so these are little quirks even within that idea of how how are these back-to-back frame that i think are at least neutral for the lakers here this is what I was talking about earlier about like having experienced it. That's why I'd love to pick your brain on this, Mike, is how much do you feel that on the ground? Like we Darius just explained that, right? You know, the the difference between traveling within time zone versus a more difficultly scheduled type of like but you've you've been there, right? You've been on the ground. How much do you notice the how much how often are you like who the hell scheduled this versus like, a, oh, it was nice to get in early today. Those things make a huge difference, in, even in terms of performance. So this is where it makes such a big difference to have not just vets, but kind of tough vets. So with Kobe on the roster, there's just a, there's a different sense of confidence on and any, and anything. Right. So if, like if you're the, the toughest back to back there there could be. And I would say one that usually trips teams up is like, you know, let's say let's say home game and then uh, flying to Denver, which is the airport mm-hmm. way yeah. out the city. It, it, it takes forever. Then you get there, you lose an hour and you have the altitude. And so like in those type of situations, Utah's kind of the same way. Like it's a little bit more convenient airport wise at Utah. But it, it, like those kind of sittings, if situations, if you have Kobe or if you have LeBron, then they're not going to let the rest of the team just take that mental break that is so easy to do. And so so this is the way I would describe it. It's really not as much about the physical aspects of it for these guys with this level of athleticism. Um, although, of course, it makes somewhat of a, of a difference. It's much more of a mental thing where yeah. you're like, all right, you know, we got and whether you win that game or lose the, the first game of it. It's just the the knowledge that the other team has it easier. 
sometimes you can you can just seed that ground. And it doesn't mean you don't play hard, but you're just not quite mentally into it to the same degree. And guys like Kobe, guys like LeBron, take that as a sort of as an affront because they're going to get asked about it by somebody like me. Like, oh, so you guys yeah, back to back tonight. It's going to be tough, right? LeBron will just reject that premise. He will say, nope, we're not we're not giving that in. And Westbrook, I think, is the same way. So it's not that you're so when you go into it with that type of a mindset, it's almost like if Darius has got his day job and then he's got to come to the podcast and then he's got he's got to cook dinner for his kids it, going into that day. He knows he's doing all three and and like it's good. But somebody else might say, you know what, maybe we're maybe we're picking up some fast food that night. Well, not Darius. He doesn't want he doesn't want the risk that he picks it up and it's not ready. Because then we're getting into Darius' displeasure scale, you know, territory. Oh my! Oh, this you know is what I'm saying? Oh boy! No, it's not. There's... This is no. This is on the list. It's like got home, but pickup order is wrong. Like he he doesn't want that, so he may just say. You said yeah. the pleasure scale. I was like, oh, is this a whole oh, different no. oh, thing no, we're no, doing? No, no, no. <laughs> we're still on the displeasure scale. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a great like, idea, wow, though, Pete. <laughs> that's a great idea for the pod. I would prefer Pete's pleasure scale, quite oh, frankly, for just... the alliteration. <laughs> oh, that's right. No. That's right. <laughs> oh, I just. <laughs> I got my son. Oh no, this is so. We'll we'll talk about that next time. But you know, (laughs) uh, that that's where that's where I sit from from being on those those planes and being in those situations where you just like you just don't let yourself get into the whole feeling sorry for what the the reality is, Darius. Mike. So since we're on this part of the pod now, and it's sort of like Mike's story time, right? And sort of calling on your own personal experience. Like, I'm I'm very interested. So. You're going to be. We haven't talked about this yet, but are 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 you expecting to travel with the team this year and and, and sort of resume that role that you had before the pandemic season um, and before the bubble? So I I have not been told anything officially. I think that the league. So taking even what the the Lakers are going to sure. do, I think yeah, the yeah, league's yeah. plan is to go back to that. Is to go back to okay. what things usually were. So broadcasters traveling, the whole thing. I, I think that's the idea. Uh, we know that everything with, with COVID-19 is fluid and all yes. that. But I think that's, I think that's at least mentally, that's what I'm planning for. And then we'll see, we'll see when the first actual road trip comes. Uh, Cause it was normal for summer league in that sense. Like we did travel, we took the plane, the whole deal. So I'm hopeful that that's the case is my. So official answer. the reason why I bring that up is because I think one of the main talking points and themes of last season was the disjointed nature that happened, especially on the road and with all of the restrictions. And, you you know, we lived in that sort of weird reality, which I don't want to dismiss the pandemic. We all know that things are still ongoing and we don't want to act as though it's back to business as usual when there's still so much that's going on out there. And so I don't want to trivialize any of that. But in looking at this through the lens of an NBA season that I think the league is trying to get back to a certain amount of normalcy, how much do you anticipate just the idea of road trips returning back to a bit of what it was like in the 2018-2019 and then in the first part of the 2019-2020 season. Do you envision that being a similar boost for these Lakers that we talked about, like what having crowds back at Staples could be for them? Because the idea of chemistry and togetherness is super important for any team, but 
I think it's very important for a new team and a LeBron-led team especially. I think those, those ideas take an even greater importance on for the success of where a team like that wants to go. So talk to us a little bit about what your views are on that for projecting it out this season. I think it's without question an underrated part of every season. And the way I usually like to look at it is the first long trip and then kind of the subsequent one after that. And so for the Lakers... We know that the whole early home schedule thing, but then November 17th through 24th, they've got five straight road games and it's all East Coast. So it's Bucks, Celtics, Pistons, Knicks, Pacers, and then Thanksgiving. And the next trip is in January. That one's even longer. So that's Orlando, Miami, Brooklyn, Philly, Charlotte, Atlanta. So on these two trips, the Lakers knock out almost the whole Eastern Conference. And I think that those are their... It's not so much just about the like the travel itself because they did the teams did travel last year, but it's about if they can hang out together, if they can go out to dinner together, if they can practice. And those were some of the things that were really limited last year, where it was just like, got you get to the you get to the spot. Yes, you're together on the plane, uh, but and on the bus for a minute, but then you're mostly just hanging out in your own hotel rooms. You don't get that same type of feel at all, and and it, and I think that. You guys heard how many different players talked about the whole off-court bond and having to find that. Rondo just referred to it in his press conference the other day. That, to me, is that is important, and it is a chance for the Lakers to find what they had two years ago that was a little bit more difficult to get to last year. So it's an important point you bring up, and that first that first time to do it starts off with a, with a couple of fun ones, right? Like at at Bucks, at Celtics, and then they carry that on. So I'm I'm very curious to see what. If, if things are as expected by then, what the Lakers can take out of a set of games like that. All right, so just a couple of other notes on the schedule. Uh, and the longest road trip, 10 days, I just mentioned it's the, it's the end of January. Longest homestand is early. It's November 8th to 15th. And so that's, that's Charlotte, Miami, Minnesota, Spurs, and Bulls. And it's part of that whole, you can tell just by hearing those team names, right? Like that's, that's a chance to, to rack some wins up. You know, that's a that's a chance for teams that uh, that are, you know, a couple a couple of good, not great Eastern teams in Charlotte um, and Chicago. One really good team, Miami. We talked about them on a previous pod. And then a couple of teams that are sort of in the middle there with young players trying to get better. And so I, I think that one is significant. February is a little weird. The Lakers don't have a single game outside the Pacific time zone. All of the road games are in the West. So at Clippers, at Blazers, at Warriors. Which is just which is just interesting. Like there's something about the body clock there when like when you don't have to change time zones even once. And then this is the last uh, the last note here that I thought was a little bit interesting. So national TV games, we we know those are always heavy for the Lakers, but because of them, 56 percent of their home games come on the weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and that's 10 percent higher than the rest of the league. So it leaves the Lakers only two home games on Thursday and only four on Monday. So basically anytime, a lot of it's Friday, Sunday, and then you have the, the occasional ESPN Saturday night feature that mixes into that. So that, that guys is, uh, will wrap up my uh, meandering around the schedule. And uh, hopefully it wasn't, there weren't too many quirks and notes of nonsense in there, but now that we can plan where, what our lives are going to be like, uh, it's, it's like, Oh wait, there's only a month until the first preseason game. So I'm getting ready to go here. Before we wrap up, I just want, wanted to say, or I, and just a quick question to, to you guys, is there a month that stands out to you 
within the schedule that you think is not necessarily more or less important, but something that you might be looking forward to? Because And, and I'll answer this first so you guys can take a look at the schedule if you haven't yet. March is super interesting. To me, the level of opponents isn't necessarily high. They play at the Clippers. They play the Warriors. Um, they've got at Phoenix. Um, that Toronto game will be interesting. And then they close the month in March with um, at Pelicans, at Dallas, at Utah. None of those on a back-to-back. They're each a day apart. But interesting home road split in in that month. And that is also like a, a ramp-up month normally and so i'll be very interested to see what the team looks like in that stretch of the season where some quality opponents mixed in there with also some teams that aren't projected to be as good right like i don't think the spurs are projected to be that that great houston um at minnesota which is an interesting team um at Cleveland, they host Philly at home. So an interesting mix there, I think, of quality teams that should be pushing for the playoffs, but also some teams that may be starting their ramp down, right? In, in terms of like, hey, let's maybe jockey for better lottery odds, potentially, or let's start to play our young guys in order to see what they have in store. And so March is an interesting month to me from from that perspective. Does anything stand out to you guys um, in a similar way or a totally different way that just matters to you from your own view? For me, it's the first month. I don't know this team. It's very strange to be in a position of having to have an opinion about a team that I only know the foundational pieces and the you know the the main the main guys, and then obviously Dwight and Rondo. But by and large, this is just stylistically such a different team that that first month of the season I've I feel is easily the most interesting because it is where we'll be learning the most about the team, and it's more it's more about us than it is about any part of the schedule. But I do think the conditions lay a groundwork for us to be able to build a solid base. And so while it's not the opponents that I'm looking at, it is that 12 out of 15 at home uh, that, you know, only a couple of playoff teams, it gives us a really nice place to start figuring out who we are. Cause even if, Everybody has ideas of that, including the players, including the coaching staff. But it's just a different experience to see the rubber hit the road on that. How about you, Mike? Do you have a a month of the season stands up? Yeah, no, I'll go. I'll go with Darius on this one. I think March, and then I'll just include April into this because April's only six games. And to me, it's just because that's the time. That's standings push time, and almost all the games are against the Western Conference. So in March, you have a couple mixed in. You oddly see both Toronto and Washington twice. You get those teams all wrapped up within one week of time. And then it's Cleveland and Philly. Outside of that, it's 10 Western teams. And then in April, I believe all six opponents are in the West. Yeah. So, like, I, Pete, I don't disagree with you. It, I'm super curious to see the start of the season. But I, I have a in my own mind, like, there's a predicted way it's going to go. I think they are going to win a bunch of games early. Uh, I think they're, they're going to beat some good teams. Um, as you get into the the meat of November, December, and then January. But I think by March, we're, the team is really going to, A, know what their identity is uh, for sure, and B, they may have made a move if they needed something uh, along those lines. And so integrating that extra piece, if so, is interesting to me. And then just instead of, like, after the experience that they had last year of being the seventh seed, and be, and of course, it was because of injuries. I just think that there's going to be I think there's going to be some push 
from Westbrook, from LeBron, from AD to want to be the one seed, like to want to be the team um, that is is uh, is controlling their own fate to the greatest extent that they can. And those games late in the season are going to matter um, for, for that push. So that's the, the part that I'll go there. But th- this is why I think I'm excited about this. There isn't a there isn't a single game that I'm not eager uh, to see next year. Like the the talent is overall is up there. Even the teams that are going to be bad, have some young, exciting players. So yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty geeked about the whole 82, but I'll, I'll go for that last stretch. If I got to pick. It's nice to have 82 in the first place. It's nice to get back to that and to a, a pace that I think there are a couple of improvements, you know, cause the schedule in some ways is similar every year where we usually start kind of home heavy. We usually end in playing conference games. That's how most sports are, right? You want the games against rivals in interdivision, interconference to be, you know, toward the end. And then the, the conference uh, across the way in the middle of the season, that said, there are, this seems to be a more efficient schedule. The fewer back-to-backs, the fewer like five and seven night type of stretches. I think, I, and I hope that they get better and better in that at that over the years because I think that prioritizing player health is something that will everybody's going to win if they continue to do that. So I'm happy with this schedule. I'm happy with what it means for the Lakers. Super excited to see that. Tomorrow, we haven't done a mailbag pod since we signed all these new guys. I'm sure everybody has a a ton of questions. So we're going to do that for tomorrow's episode. We'll send out a call for questions. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.